0: This is the Bartender Journey Podcast.
1: Well, it's Bartender Journey Podcast number 153. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's time for the Nightclub and Bar Show in Las Vegas. So I re- I'm recording this as I run out the door to uh, to catch a plane and uh, try to uh, edit it and produce it while I'm on the plane on the laptop and publish it while I'm out in Vegas. So uh, think of me while you're there. And if you're, you're going to be out there, please let me know. I've heard from uh, a couple of you, and I'm very much looking forward to meeting the people that are going to be out there Of course, Chris and Julia Tunstall of the Mixology Talk podcast. They're going to be there, and I can't wait to meet you guys and uh, share a cocktail. Oh, by the way, I hope you've signed up for their free Craft Bartender Summit. That's uh, an online summit. It's an online conference that you can uh, sign up for, and it's free. It's online. You can take part in the event from wherever you happen to be in the world. So go go over to craftbartendersummit.com and sign up. For free, I heard from Cammy from Boise, Idaho. She's going to be out there, and looking forward to seeing you, Cammy. So uh, let's make sure we all meet up. Yeah, you guys have my information. I have some of yours, and uh, we have to meet up for sure. Hey, I was at Whiskey Live in New York City uh, last week, and that was a great, great time, great event, and they're going to be in D.C. this weekend, so uh, check, well, as I publish this, that already passed, but uh, hope you get a chance to check out the Whiskey Live events. They're they're actually all over the country and all over the world, so go to WhiskeyLiveUSA.com and uh, find the event near you. They're going to be in Louisville. They're going to be in Los Angeles, so I highly recommend you check that event out. If you remember, I ran a contest to uh, give away two tickets to Whiskey Live New York, and Shane won the tickets, and we met up and uh, drank some great whiskey together and had a really good time. So uh, it was really great seeing you, Shane. Let's listen to some audio I recorded at Whiskey Live. Uh, I took a class called the Malt Advocate class and talked with Gregor McIntyre, and he is uh, from Diageo, and he is a very knowledgeable man and a fun guy to talk to, and uh, we talked about scotch. Here we go. Gregor, thank you. This was a wonderful seminar, and uh, we tasted some beautiful whiskeys. I, you know i was I was very interested in um there's some talk about uh, the the thought of terroir within Scottish whiskies and uh, you guys seem I seem to dismiss that somewhat.
2: Yeah, I think terroir's more to do with wines. Yeah. And uh, and the, the quality of the soil will have an influence on how that grape grows and uh, what side of the mountain. But we're looking at, uh, at using barley for the starch. We want a high content of starch, and we want that starch which will then uh, be converted into sugars, and then that sugar converted into alcohol. So it's the, it's the amount of starch that we are looking for. So ter- terroir um, for barley growing... Um, um, you know, we need the, the, the right environment for growing barley, which is mainly up and down the east coast of, uh, of Scotland. Uh, as far as the distilleries in terroir are concerned, again, uh, the knowledge that we've gained since back in the, the 70s, 80s, with regards to terroir and regionality, is huge. Um, we now know that uh, by maturing a whisky on the mainland versus the, uh, the the island, there's not going to be uh, an influence uh, that's created uh, by the salty sea spray that's blowing up on the warehouses and, and being... Uh, Sucked into the maturing whiskey these these marine characteristics come from uh, the ingredients we use and from the process, so uh, maritime characters for example and and smokiness m- mostly from the peat that 's used in the peating process during molting
1: so, so maybe it 's sort of an expanded definition that people are reaching for a little bit using terroir with the, with the, for scotch and uh, mescal, for instance, uh, so m- would you consider that maybe? Expanding the definition among what it really uh, originally meant.
2: I think it's 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 more to do with us gaining knowledge of uh, of processing these simple ingredients of water, barley, and yeast into Scotch whisky, and how we can create certain styles and flavours, and then of course how we create um, these single malt Scotch whiskies that are consistent, consistent for bottling as a single malt, um, but more so consistent for the blenders we make single malts for our blends and then that small proportion that's left over will be used for our single malt bottlings. That's so interesting that's something I think a lot of people don't give any thought to at all that you know single malt is the you know the, the penultimate and uh, but really it, it was all created for the for blended whiskey yeah? Yeah well uh, if you think about it uh, 90% of Scotch whiskey that is drunk in the world is blended scotch. Only maybe less than 10% is actual single malt. Some people I've, well, I've heard people say, oh, we, they make single malt and then all the bad single malt goes into the blends. Well, that means that 90% of scotch that's drunk in the world is supposedly bad single malt scotch that's in that blend. Can't be true. But the,
1: is, is that starting to shift somewhat
2: now? The, the proportion of blended to Singapore? malt? Absolutely. Um, for example, things like what we're doing today, uh, we're doing an extended master class, which is a condensed version of a five-day malt advocate course in Scotland. Uh, we have, uh, as you know, the USBG are very active in educating their members, which we take an active part in. Education is key. People are becoming more educated and having a much better understanding for the quality and craftsmanship that goes into making these great single malts and blended Scotch whiskies. How would you,
1: if I had a guest come into my bar who, you know, says, I'd like to try Scotch, I really don't know much about it.
2: Where should I start? Oh, the first thing I would ask is, uh, well, what flavors do you like? What, What are your favorite flavors? Or do you like something that's really smoky? Or do you do you not like that smoky flavour? Do you want do you want something that's rich and uh, uh, rich in dried fruit, uh, dried rich fruitiness? Or do you want something that's more kind of Uh, lighter and fresher, such as flavours of of, of fresh apples. I'd want to understand what kind of flavour you like and then start to slowly introduce you to a single malt or a blended Scotch whisky that fall into that category of flavour.
1: Well, let's say I come in and I say, uh, well, you know, I drink bourbon... I drink bourbon. I like bourbon. I, I like uh, uh, bullet, for instance. You know, wh- where should I start with scotch?
2: Well, for one thing, I wouldn't would give you, would you... you start a, them with
1: single malt or, or blended?
2: I, I would not give you a Lagavulin 16-year-old. Yeah. But I, I may give you something that's, uh, that, that's a blend. I would, I would think uh, Johnny Walker uh, select cask. With uh, that lovely wood finishing process that we do in rye barrels, that uh, gives these sweet, uh, fruity notes to the blended scotch. So it's in line with the bourbon sweetness, but of course, bourbon and scotch are two completely different uh, tastes. They are whiskey, both are whiskey, two completely different tastes. But I would uh, offer uh, something in that sweeter, kind of lighter, fruitier category of flavour. So on a blend, yeah, the Walker Select Cask. As a single malt, uh, I wouldn't offer the Lagavulin 16. Way too smoky for, uh, for, a, for a, a bourbon drinker, perhaps. I would certainly start them with something like um, uh, a Dolphini. Light heather honey. Lovely maltiness. And I'd ask them to uh, dilute it a little bit with water, just to open up the, the sweet notes.
1: And you might say, well, this, this here is actually aged in casks that were made to use to make bourbon there,
2: there we are absolutely the the casks that are used to make uh, that are used to mature dalhwini uh, were used to mature a bourbon whiskey. we like that american oak that has had some of the heavier flavors extracted out of the wood like the vanilins the lactones which are vanilla and coconut notes which you uh, find a lot of in bourbon of course bourbon Taking that flavor from the oak, and then we're left with that uh, that lovely malt uh, spirit to slowly mature and have a slow extraction rate of the flavors from the oak.
1: It, it's so interesting that um, what, I think you said 99% of Scotch whiskey is matured. It
2: uh, uh, 95% is matured in American oak ex bourbon barrels, and five uh, percent is typically from uh, sherry casks and uh, and and. and uh, 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 also, some uh, some other wine casks, and is that just tradition, or what? What's the thought process behind behind almost
1: never using new oak?
2: Well, I I, I think I know where you're going here. Um, what happened before uh, before bourbon was being matured in bourbon uh, bourbon barrels? We would have used uh, brandy brandy barrels, wine barrels. Uh, we would have used uh, we would have used new barrels. We would have used oak barrels. Charred. We, would have, we would have used uh, not necessarily chard because uh, a sherry uh, cask would have been toasted and not charred. It would have been toasted to allow that activation of the, the wood sugars uh, to come to, to life and help that maturation process uh, go along. But also the fact that uh, the, the other thing that uh, is interesting is that we have American white oak and then European red oak, different flavour structures, the white oak, sweeter, creamier, vanilla, coconut notes. European oak, dark, rich, fruit, spices, bitterness from the tannins. So you can see where these flavours are really playing a part in the maturation process when they're joined together with that individual distillery character and then creating their own style of whiskey.
1: And so... Back to the original point: the the regionality of of Scotch whisky is it is is it tradition or or is there something more? Why you know why does one whisky from the from the Highlands taste so different than one
2: from from Islay? Well, if you think traditionally, you have um, oh my gosh, going back many many years ago, there was probably over two thousand illicit distillers in that small area of Speyside. I'm sure a lot of these distillers were, uh, uh, they, well, for one, they knew each other and two, they probably copied each other in the way that they were making uh, their own Ushkabeha or, uh, or, or unmatured whisky. So, uh, so different styles would have been created in different areas of Scotland. And also with the malting process, like we discussed today, the influence that peat smoke has on malt, peat was used as a natural source of fuel just to dry the barley, it wasn't used as a flavour enhancer, but on the west coast of Scotland the main source of fuel there was peat not a lot of wood there uh, on the east coast of Scotland and especially in lowlands there was uh, anthracite uh, and other, other uh, sources of fuel so, uh, so yes, so different regions would have had slightly different methods and different thinking on the building of their stills and how they processed the, uh, the, the materials
1: Ah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Is there any danger of running out of peat? I know it's protected in the United States. I've, I've spoken to people that are making American single malt whiskeys, and they have to import their peat.
2: Yeah, there's, uh, there's always been... Uh there's always been that question but uh, but peat uh, comes from peat bogs that are you know can be 20 or 30 feet deep and they're all over Scotland so uh, it's safe to say that um, certainly my children my possibly my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren will still be enjoying uh, a smoky whiskey when they come of age to enjoy it legally. That's great. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure.
1: That was a very informative class we took and we drank some beautiful scotches, like unbelievable stuff. The last whiskey we tasted out of uh, the seven, the last scotch we tasted was a Port Ellen, 32 years old. It was amazing. Just, wow, life-altering whiskey right there. Well that was of course a single malt from Scotland but you know what's you know what else I've been finding interesting is single malts from the good old USA and uh I think you heard me talk about Westward uh, whiskey made in um, Oregon. Delicious malt whiskey, uh, awesome whiskey. Well, down in Texas, Balcones is making a great single malt. I talked to those guys. Uh,
3: this is our Texas single malt. It's the flagship whiskey from Balcones. It's a 100% malted barley mash, of course, like any other single malt out there. Um, but we like to say we make ours Texas style. So there's no smoke element to the grain. We're not using any kind of peated barley. Um, it's definitely a lot bolder and sweeter than you might expect from most single single malt whiskeys, um, and we're also bottling it at a much higher proof at 53%, so um, we think it stays true to the taste of Texas because it is a very big, bold, and uh, just more or less uh, juicy, flavorful whiskey.
1: Well, I think it's a really great category, the new American single malts, and uh, what defines that for you, single American single malt whiskey?
3: Well, you know, I think uh, one thing that's great about American Single Malt is that we're not bound to hundreds of years of traditions like uh, some other countries might be. And, um, you know, there's a lot of room for innovation and a lot of room for experimentation. So I think it's going to really grow into a category of its own over the next five to ten years.
1: And what about Texas whiskeys in general? I mean, I, I admit I don't know a lot about it, but it seems that there's a culture growing pretty quickly there.
3: Yeah, Texas whiskey is a very big growing movement right now. I think off the top of my head, I could probably name about ten or twelve actual whiskey distilleries in Texas now. Um, I think Balcones has kind of led the forefront of that. We've been trying to start a Texas whiskey tradition. Um, hopefully, that sticks, and in the next few years, it becomes a category all in its own. It's really fun that there's
1: these you know categories within categories, and and now and there's new ones popping up all the time. You know, so I, I think that's really fun. You know, I was talking to somebody about uh, Pennsylvania style rye whiskey. I'm like. I I never really thought of that as a category, but it it, it is a distinctive style. So I guess Texas is coming up with their own style too, right?
3: Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, as long as we continue pushing out really high-quality products, people will start to recognize it as its own thing.
1: So what what else are you uh, producing?
3: We make mostly single malt, the Texas single malt, the one, um, but we also make a lot of blue corn whiskeys. So two of the blue corn whiskeys we have on the table are Baby Blue, which is a whiskey that's really meant to capture and express that blue corn through the final product. So it's intentionally youthful. It's not an immature tasting whiskey. It's a very mature tasting whiskey, but we're not trying to cover up all that really rich blue corn flavor with a bunch of oak. And then on the other side of the table, we've got Brimstone, which is also starting from that same 100% blue corn mash as Baby Blue, but that's where the difference Uh, that's where the similarities end, basically. Um, After distillation, we'll actually take the spirit and smoke it with Texas Scrub Oak using our own secret process. So it is smoke it, smoke it with what? Texas Scrub Oak. So it is very much a Texas barbecue in a bottle. It's really exceptional
2: stuff, it's very powerful.
1: Well, I'll have to give that a try. I also got a chance to talk to Adam Spiegel from Sonoma County Distilling Company, and they were pouring some delicious rye. I told Adam I loved his rye because it tasted like rye.
0: Yeah, no, that's not what we're going for. It's, it's, a, it's amazing to create a product when so many people have been kind of misconstrued about what a rye whiskey is supposed to taste like. You know, we, we make ours with 100% rye. So there's no corn, there's no barley. There's no corn to kind of deviate into to a bourbon world. There's no barley to kind of make it start tasting a little bitter on the back note and kind of give it that sort of single malt-esque. So when you have a pure rye base, you can make a cocktail. I mean, I'm not a bartender. I don't know anything about that. But what I do know is if I'm going to drink something, I need to start with a clean base. Because once I do that, then I can build around it. I'm not hiding off notes. There's not too much oak on this product. There's not too little oak. It's a perfect balance. And that's what we're going for. The more we can go out there and kind of say, here's what we make. I don't know what everybody else does, but here's why I make it. Here's how I would use it. Um, I I think it's good. And I think we'll be able to kind of move the drinkers a little bit to say, yeah, I'll I'll buy a $14 cocktail from that Sonoma stuff because, you know, I'd rather you have two good cocktails in a meal than three bad ones. Two good ones rather than three bad ones. It just makes sense to me. And... I've tried to convince my friends of that. Sometimes they listen. (laughs) So so it's Sonoma County Distillery, right? Sonoma County Distilling Company. Yeah, yeah. We started up in uh, 2010. We only started making rye to start, and then we started venturing into bourbons. So our bourbon series is called West of Kentucky. It's got a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge on the front. Um, And our our bourbon one and two are on the market in New York. And uh, we've gotten to a point now where we've been able to kind of go out there and say, you know, here's what we do. and. We'll use our direct fired stills and our open top fermentations and our grain in fermentations and it will lend for a better tasting product at the end of the day.
1: It sounds like rye is your passion, though.
0: It is. And, and we've 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 really begun to really start seeing people start to understand why we do what we do. Uh, for so long, people are like, well, you know, it, it's a little strong. It's a little aggressive. And I say, it's 100% rye. It's going to be your spiciest expression you can possibly get. But... The flip side of that is you're going to get a lot more flavors if you want to make yourself a boulevardier, if you want to make yourself uh, an old-fashioned or a Sazerac. You really want to get yourself with a good-tasting rye because once you get a good base, the rest of the... Manhattan. Manhattan,
1: exactly. These things will taste so much better after you do that. I love rye so much, and it's, it's just because it cuts through everything else, and it, it just it's so pure.
0: I love it. And I know that, but if you have a choice, if, someone, if a waiter comes over to you and says, you have a choice between three breads, I choose my rye bread. And the reason is because it's going to add a layer of complexity to that sandwich you don't normally get. And then most people kind of dismiss it and think, whatever, balsamic and rye, it's, it's old people food. But it's not. It's layers and depth of flavor. And, and, and I think as the, the, kind of the millennial generation starts to kind of figure their stuff out a little bit, they're going to gravitate towards more flavor over less flavor. Because, again, I think if anything, this, the financial downturn of 2008 really taught us all something. Uh, I, I personally went through a complete life change, that's why the Summit County Distilling Company exists. Um, I think millennials are looking at their money and saying, what can I spend my dollar on today that's worth something, that has value to it? And again, like, yeah, you can go out there and buy some $24 bottles or $30 bottles. But if you buy one dollars bottle of Arsenal Mirai, you're going to be able to balance some really good flavors in there and make some good cocktails with friends and share it with friends and family. That's what it's all about.
1: That's why we make whiskey. And the same thing in a bar. Like, you know, I don't think people are afraid of a $16 cocktail anymore if it's good. You know, and, you know, if it has some taste and some complexity to it. Yeah, you should be pissed off if you actually buy a $16
0: cocktail and you're using a $24 bottle of whiskey. Right. I mean, no offense to that $24 bottle of whiskey, and it might be quite good, but there's other stuff out there that supports local farmers and supports, you know, small business owners. And, like, you know, I have six employees. You know, we feel these things much better than anybody else does. And if you can institute us into a couple bar programs more than we did yesterday, we're going to feel that in our pocketbook. And so that's one of those things where we're, we're trying to, you know, the bartenders can come to play and help us out a little bit, and we're making good whiskey. So if, if at the end of the day all we made was just good whiskey, uh, uh, that's one thing. But we actually make good product. We can back it up with something. So Sonoma County Distilling Company, we've been doing pretty well in New York for the last couple of years. And this year we're on track to kind of come from outside of the shadows and say who we are. Nice. Who, who are you distributed by in, in New York? Uh, Blueprint Brands. Uh, so Blueprint, yeah, they're, they're part of, uh, they have a much bigger beer distribution network. Uh, but Blueprint Brands have been really good for us. Um, pretty much anybody who's got any Budweiser accounts can pick us up as well, too. So that's really, really nice. Um, and we're going to get to a point now where, you know, any bar that wants to, to actually try a craft whiskey from California, got bourbon, we got rye, we got wheat whiskey for them to
1: try to. Awesome. Thank you. Pleasure. Absolutely. All right, I got to go to Vegas. Nightclub and bar show awaits. So uh, I look forward to seeing you next time on Bartender Journey. Remember, the website is bartenderjourney.net for all things Bartender Journey. Go over to bartenderjourney.net. I hope you're subscribed so that uh, the new shows will come right to you as soon as they become available. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for what I record and share with you. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time on Bartender Journey. Cheers.